0: It's Monday, January 7th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. The partial government shutdown is now in its third week and still no end in sight. The only concession coming from the White House is that the president would be willing to ditch the concrete wall for a steel fence. Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters, joins us for the politics of the shutdown and the real test when federal workers start seeing zeros on their paychecks this week. Next, as we continue with the tightest labor market in decades, companies are looking for ways to attract and retain new workers and are willing to pay for your college degree. This is not necessarily a new thing. The change-up now is that companies are paying for it upfront and in full. Kelsey G., reporter for The Wall Street Journal, joins us for how to take advantage of these programs and get a free college education. Finally, as the ride-sharing economy continues to grow, New sectors are growing out of the industry, and it's focusing on kids. A growing crop of ride services is offering rigorously vetted drivers who can transport your kids where they need to be, as well as babysit. Rebecca Heilweil, covering this story for Wired, tells us about companies like Kango and Hopskip Drive that are trying to be the Uber for kids. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. What's driving this is the president's desire to change the conditions at the border. And if he has to give up a concrete wall and replace it with a steel fence in order to do that so that Democrats can say, see, he's not building a wall anymore, so, that should help us move so you in the right the headline direction. To be- the president is going to secure the border with a barrier. Joining us now is Ginger Gibson political reporter for Reuters. We are in the third week of this partial government shutdown now. Still no end in sight. All sides are digging their heels in and nobody is willing to make a compromise. Although from the administration, the big compromise that came over the weekend was that the president is signaling he's willing to not make a concrete wall. Instead, a steel wall, steel slats, whatever you want to call them, that could be good enough to hopefully get Democrats to give him funding for it. They're maybe not even calling it a wall anymore, just uh, some type of barrier there.
1: Democrats have been insistent really for the past two years in funding legislation that they refuse to fund a wall, but it hasn't stopped them from funding all other manner of border security or barrier. And for that reason, President Trump's saying to reporters that he would take a steel wall barrier or a steel fence might be the light at the end of the tunnel for the shutdown. Democrats tell me that they think that some kind of deal that continues to include their prohibition on a wall would be a win for them. President Trump thinks that anything that stops people from coming across the border is a win for him, or at least that was what he said. Seems to be moving towards a place where everyone can declare victory.
0: So Democrats are okay with that plan of using steel slats, a fence if you want to call it the words, the cement On this gets pretty crazy now, but Democrats are okay with that plan as long as it's not a big concrete wall.
1: They're signaling as much. No one has explicitly said it, but in these types of negotiations, rarely does anyone say, yeah, good, publicly before a deal has been struck. But yes, we are getting the sort of smoke signals that that may be the kind of thing to get them to an agreement with Democrats accepting no wall but all right, thing.
0: The president also said that he would consider declaring a national emergency, get the military to build this wall. What does he have to do to go through that? And then at that point, the money would come out of the military's budget? This would be a
1: really unprecedented move to have the president declare a national emergency to do something which Congress has seemed to pretty explicitly tell him they don't want done or at least asking for permission, sort of like asking your mom for permission, her telling you no, and then just going and doing it anyway. There is a little bit of room for him. It's a big legal question and and he would surely face some opposition, some lawsuits. That has been a bit of his administration's tactic. Do it, get sued, wait and see if the court lets you do it a year later. We saw that with the travel ban. We saw that with some of his other executive orders, the DACA decision. So yes, it looks like he could try that. He would have to cobble the money together out of the defense budget. It would have to be money that hasn't been given to the Defense Department with explicit directions by Congress. So that could get a little tricky, but he could do that. And, and I really think that this would sort of blow this whole process up if he opted to use the military, declare a national emergency. After going through all of these negotiations and these talks, it would be viewed very much by his critic as a direct defiance of Congress, as a violation of the checks and balances in government. And I think he would take a lot of criticism for appearing to be authoritarian in that action. However, keep in mind that that might be the kind of criticism that Trump doesn't feel is problematic. He thinks it would be him being decisive, taking action and doing what's best for the country whenever the political opposition stands in his way.
0: Part of the problem is that nobody can really come to a consensus on why we need the wall. Everybody says they want border security, but what are the factors that make us need that physical barrier? And last week, there was a meeting, a briefing where Homeland Security Secretary Kirstjen Nielsen was presenting a briefing on the border security to Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer and others. And Nancy Pelosi interrupted and said, you know, I reject your facts. Like what you're saying is false. There's not these many terrorists coming in at the southern border and nobody can agree on that.
1: That's right. We saw a really interesting and sort of telling moment between Sarah Sanders, the White House press secretary, and Chris Wallace on Fox News Sunday, Sunday morning, in which he kept pressing her that the administration says there's 4000 suspected or possible terrorists who've come into the country that have been coming in illegally. And and Wallace said, yes, but all 4000 of those people have been captured at airports. Like, right, not right. one of them has come through the border. And Sarah kept saying, yeah, but the border is the most easy way for people to get in. And he was like, yeah, but that's not where they're coming from. (laughs) That was sort of the point that Pelosi was making was that they keep saying, well, there are terrorists coming into the country, but there's no evidence that any of them have come into the country
0: through the Southern border. The politics of the stalemate is crazy. The president can't back down now that he's in this position. When word was saying that he might have to compromise already, his conservative critics were already jumping on him. And we know how this, how sensitive the president is to criticism in the media. And it's, it's it kind of what drives him. Who's going to win this PR battle? People are saying that once January 11th hits, when that check doesn't come to these government workers where they're not getting paid for where the shutdown has occurred and headlines start dominating these local news outlets that people can't make ends meet, that's really going to get the ball rolling because now it's going to start looking bad. Who has better standing on this PR battle?
1: It's a really hard win. I think you're right. The PR battle of people not being able to pay their mortgage or their rent is going to have a big impact. But keep in mind, there was a deal all ready once before to fund the government. And it was the Fox and Friends and the Limbaugh's of the world complaining, railing on President Trump that a lot of his critics say are what forced them to abandon that deal. So what looks like the opening for a deal this weekend, it's the kind of thing that could fall apart if the president changes his mind and he's got a history of changing his mind. So who knows what the PR battle will be won by people without paychecks or people on Fox and Friends.
0: Ginger Gibson, political reporter for Reuters. Thank you very much for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me. They're powerful.
2: They're powerful up front, and they're also oftentimes paying in full, which makes a huge difference for folks who maybe don't even have the magic numbers, $5,250. That was the tax maximum in the past for tuition reimbursement programs. These new programs look very different in the freedom that they give employees to study whatever they want.
0: Joining us now is Kelsey G, reporter for the Wall Street Journal. We've been talking a lot about the job market. It's very tight right now. We talk a lot about school and things like that and all this financial assistance stuff. This is not something new necessarily where workplaces are paying for the tuition of their employees, helping them get their degrees in hopes that they stay and and move up within the company. One little thing that is kind of changing now is that a lot of companies are paying for their employee schooling up front. Before, a lot of times, is always kind of a reimbursement thing, but it's a new trend. These companies say that happier, better-educated staff outweigh the cost of paying their college tuition. What do we know about this?
2: They're paying up front, and they're also oftentimes paying in full, which makes a huge difference for folks who maybe don't even have the magic numbers, 5250 $5,250. That was the tax maximum in the past for tuition reimbursement programs that they would pay out pocket and then get a check several weeks or months later from their employer sometimes tied to certain strings like having to get straight A's or it has to be in a specific area that's beneficial to your employer like in tech or something like that these new programs look very different in the freedom that they give employees to study whatever they want and pursue the entire degree not just like a Photoshop class here or there
0: when I was going to school I had friends that were working at Starbucks and their policies could very well have changed by now but theirs was a reimbursement program and and I think it needed to be in certain business management classes that, that you had to take. But, you know, it's difficult that people are looking for financial aid. And sometimes that's it doesn't really help out when it's a reimbursement after the fact, because a lot of times people need the money up front. And I didn't know that that number was 5250 a year. So, yeah, it helps now that these companies are willing to pay in full. Who are some of the companies that are getting into this practice?
2: It's a range of companies offering this to mostly frontline workers like Disney. And you mentioned Starbucks. They also have a similar program. They're one of the earliest companies that offered something like this, which we didn't go too far into detail with. in this story, because it's been written about a bit in the past, but theirs is really interesting. Their partnership with Arizona State University. There's also Discover Financial Services, the credit card company, Taco Bell. Chipotle has a program like this. at t have programs like this. Lyft, Uber, like so many companies that have hourly workers, whether they're employees or even just contractors, are finding that it's a really important benefit to offer to differentiate themselves in this job market.
0: And the partnerships that these companies have with the schools mm-hmm. is really important, really integral to this whole thing. A lot of times payments are made directly to the school. So it kind of takes that out of the students' hands, but these are really important parts of how the whole thing works. How do the schools and the businesses get in touch with each other?
2: Many of these deals have been brokered by third-party nonprofits. There's one in particular, Guild Education, which I've talked to for this story and for others in the past. And they have a really cool mission of trying to make education benefits essentially like the 2019 version of healthcare insurance plans from like the 1950s, 60s, and 70s as employers tried to compete and offer better and better health services to their employees in order to attract the best talent. Nonprofits like Guild have this attitude that if we can make it as easy as possible to find good universities that offer the kinds of programs that would fit the needs of an employer partner, then we're able to make something really special happen for sometimes millions of employees potentially.
0: And it's crazy the amount of cost savings that you really see once you start looking at numbers. And it also kind of proves that the price of education can come down because when these companies make deals, the cost of a bachelor's degree from a four-year institution is about 33000 a year. And sometimes they can negotiate this stuff to 6000 to $10,000 in some mm-hmm. cases.
2: Yeah, and that's a huge piece of this story, too. You know, as someone who's been writing about higher education and workforce development for you know a year and a half now or so, it's become really clear that universities are struggling, too, to try to figure out what is their place in this new economy where the lifespan of skills is so short and the needs of employers are so high high in especially industries like healthcare or in tech, that if they're able to broker a deal in which they're able to fill their classrooms up with a bunch of corporate employees and sell a bunch of degrees, essentially like at volume for a lower price, I think it still works out for a lot of them in their favor.
0: One of the interesting numbers that you threw in your article was that of Taco Bell, and they had a pilot version of something like this, and it boosted their retention among participants to 98%. And that's yeah, isn't that crazy? That is yeah. crazy. A lot of people will think, well, I don't want to work at Taco Bell or something. But, you know, you can move up into corporate structure. You can move up all over the place mm-hmm. as you advance your education. And if the company themselves, they're footing the bill, but they're keeping so many more people I mean, that's a good benefit.
2: And something that Bob Iger said as well, the Disney CEO, when we were chatting is that in the meantime, you know, even if those employees who did get a full ride to University of Denver or a number of the schools that they've partnered with, and then they decide to up and leave as soon as they've gotten enough of their credits paid for, in the meantime, it does a lot of good in his view, you know, in terms of employee engagement, just a sense of like self-confidence that I have all of these new avenues available to me. My future that perhaps I didn't in the past.
0: Kelsey G., reporter for the Wall Street Journal, thank you very much for joining us.
2: Yeah, thank you. This has been fun.
3: Top Skip Drive makes sure that the ride experience is safe for the kids and for the care driver. I am a parent and I understand how other parents
0: want to feel that their children are safe and with safe people. I make great money and I'm still able to give back by helping families in my community. Joining us now is Rebecca Heilweil. Freelance rider for Wired. We've had the ride hailing industry now for many years and there's constant changes and starting to mature. People are really concerned with safety, with privacy, all these things. But a, a section of that industry that's starting to grow right now is that for the rides for kids. Obviously, mm-hmm. safety is a huge concern with that. But there's a lot of companies that are starting to get in this game that have been around for a couple years. Kango is one of them. You wrote about how difficult a business this is to run because you're dealing with children and safety is really paramount there. So tell us a little bit about this.
3: In my article, I focused on Zoom, Hop, Skip, Drive, and Kango are trying to solve this problem for parents where kids need to get from place to place, especially in the afternoons where they have ballet class, Spanish tutoring, SAT prep, without parents having to be there or hiring a babysitter. And these company solutions is sort of combining aspects of the ride, hail, ride, hit, share style service where you book rides from contracted drivers typically using their own cars on an app. Obviously, the big concern for parents would be safety and making sure that the people driving their kids around are really prepared to take on really young passengers. So essentially, these drivers end up being people who have extensive childcare experience themselves and are very often parents themselves as well.
0: For Uber and Lyft, if you're under 18, you're not supposed to be using these services alone. I mean, obviously, if you're a parent or somebody else is with you, you can jump in a car, no problem, but you can't pick right. up the phone and, and just order a ride if you're under 18. And, you know, some drivers will go ahead and do it anyways. They won't verify the age. They won't check. I, I, and from your article and just personal experience, you know, everybody's always afraid of that rating that they're going to get or getting knocked down a rating if they mm-hmm. don't take a ride. So a lot of times an Uber ride driver or Lyft driver will just take the ride when you're dealing with children it's a totally different set of things you need to worry about.
3: Uber and Lyft will sort of tell their drivers if you think someone's under their minimum age, try to check their age and really don't don't accept someone who can't prove that they're of the right age to be using that service. And the Uber and Lyft drivers don't aren't really signing up for that either. They don't they're, they're not signed up to be babysitters or haven't ensured that they have childcare experience, which is really what these services are providing. And say so we can guarantee you that safety and the several levels of protection for your kids. So you. You wouldn't have to rely on the service or hire a babysitter or miss time at work to make sure your kids are getting where they need to go.
0: Talk to us a little right. bit about some of the requirements that these drivers have to go through.
3: HopSkipDrive, Drive, which is one of the companies I covered as an example, you sort of need to have, for them, you need to have five years of childcare experience, which most people will meet by saying, I've been a mom, I've been a dad, I know how to take take care of a the kid. <laughs> typically, you have to have, be fingerprinted, You have to. there will be occasional background check. One of the other safety features that's interesting is some of the services use code words so that a, maybe a child who doesn't have a smartphone wants to confirm that the person who shows up at school picking them up is actually the right person that they've been assigned to. So they might have a code word that they hear from their parents, like Apple, like the, the driver picking you up tomorrow is going to tell you that code word. So that how the child themselves can have a little more transparency and making sure that the driver picking them up is the right person and then you also have vehicle inspections you have to have a really good driving record as well and it goes pretty pretty in-depth and in California there's also a registry called trust line where and California is where most of these companies are operating right now where you're sort of registered with a state database of cleared nannies and child transport services
0: one of the other neat things that these services use is they work with a company called Zendrive, which you uses- is location data to track uh, the speed, mm-hmm. how you brake, whether you're texting at the wheel. So I'm sure that kind of provides some confidence in these drivers, at least when they're transporting their kids around. Mm-hmm.
3: Definitely, yeah, it keeps the drivers not necessarily on their toes, but aware that they have someone in the backseat that they're responsible for. So that's definitely an added level of protection. And they get reports, I think, every week or so, at least on Hopskip Drive, to make sure to sort of keep them updated at what they could be doing better at and what they're doing well in terms of their driving driving behavior.
0: Let's talk a little bit about cost and some of the troubles that some of these other companies have had, because for Kango specifically, there's a nine month introductory fee. You got to pay nine dollars a month just to be part of the service. Minimum ride is going to be about sixteen dollars and they do offer to babysit the kids uh, let's say you got to wait right. till the parent comes home so that's around 15 to 20 bucks an hour for a single child and then there's right. all there's these some a few other companies that have tried this already that had difficulties that have been actually shutting down
3: there are two companies that seem to have tried this and shut down there was one called shuttle which had some issues with registering their drivers for trustline and there were questions about how it had spent its money and it and it shut down a few years ago. And then there was another service in Massachusetts that was a little bit smaller that was also having issues with permits and sort of eventually ran out of money since a lot of these companies are still in the startup phase and they're doing that sort of complicated act of balancing the money that they're paying their drivers and the sort of incentives they offer parents to start as well as just trying to continue fundraising and proving that their model works.
0: Yeah, it's an interesting sector of this ride hailing industry that is going to keep growing. I mean, you can just see that this is a service that a lot of parents would want to have and would like to use. Rebecca Highwell, freelance writer for WIRED, thank you very much for joining us.
3: Thank you. Have a great rest of your day.
0: All right, that's it for today. Join us on social media, at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter, and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.